Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. All right. There is a way out. My name is Bromo. It is the 22nd of January here in Bismarck, about 20 degrees. Finally, after about a week and a half of some real frigid weather, we're on the plus side. This will be my fifth episode. Again, I tell everyone I'm not an expert. I don't have any credentials. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. Basically, it's life experience for me and my experience as far as dealing with addiction. And alcohol was uh, what uh, what my power, my power, what was my substance. Uh, I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-17-09. And uh, once again, I am not a doctor. I don't have any credentials. I do this for the hopes of somebody uh, who may feel that uh, they either might have a problem or someone else in their family or friend that can listen to this, to my story. And uh, again, I recorded about 30 of these about five years ago with my story in the first part of it. And I cannot air those again, which is why I'm starting over. So I apologize for all that have heard my story before. I'm trying to get through my story, not rushing it or anything like that, but I'm trying to be as thorough as possible. But my Goal is 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 just for everyone to hear what uh, uh, I went through, what I'm doing now, and then when I get over my story, I want to, of course, bring other people on, and then that to me is my favorite part, where others can share their beliefs, their story, their strength, and their hope. But I left you last episode. We're telling you that my drinking was starting to escalate. Uh, I told you I was part of this radio show that I was having a ball in. It was in San Diego, and I was working with my best friend back then, and uh, I was the fall guy. I was the guy that took golf bets and lost and then paid them off the next day. 99% of the golf bets were pretty embarrassing, very much so. But but, uh, uh, I also had that role of being kind of the loser, you know, being uh, having some of my exploits with, dates in the past, which always bombed out or uh, going to the bar across the street and having someone call in and say, oh yeah, I saw Bromo drunk as heck. He looked like he was falling asleep on the bar. So my whole life, really 99.9% of my life was exposed on the air. And that for most, that was the beauty of this show that I was on. Um, All the people, all the characters uh, really uh, held hardly anything back. They shared their lives on the air, and I, that was very appealing to me. Remember, again, before I was on this radio show, you know, I I didn't have a whole lot of personality, really. And so I was able to play this role quite easily. I was the loser. You know, like I said, I lost golf bets and paid them off. I uh, drank, and a lot of my own experiences through drinking made it on the air and, you know, for a while there was funny, I'm sure, funny for others to hear of how much of a loser I was and, and probably some people could relate to it. But, you know, when you think about it, sometimes you laugh when you hear stories like that on the air because you can you can say to yourself, man, that guy is really, you know what, 
that guy really had some trouble going on there. I mean, not to make anybody feel good about themselves, but it was an easy role to play because I was just being myself. There was no way of losing. You know what I'm saying? I could bomb out to the worst ability in whatever I did and relay that the next day on the air. And if I made somebody laugh, this is the ironic thing. If I made someone laugh back then, it took away a lot of the embarrassment of what had happened or whatever I did. If I made someone laugh, you made my day. But that is completely different. Now I still like making people laugh. If I can help somebody, if somebody can listen to any of my stories, any of my podcasts, and they get something out of it, and maybe they say to themselves, you know what? If Bromo can do it, and I heard his story, I'd sure like to give it a shot. I'll tell you, that makes my day. And that makes anybody's day that's in recovery, really. But where I left off was I was starting to drink more. I was living with two other roommates in Mission Beach. Now, Mission Beach, San Diego, sure, it's a beach. It's a beach area. It's like Disneyland for alcoholics. And I'm not kidding you. There's bars all around. There's liquor stores all around. I had two roommates. I wasn't seeing anybody. I was working at this great radio show where I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I had the weekends free. I literally had a bar across the street that I went to. I could crawl across the street. Many times I've been walked across the street. One time a bartender actually uh, walked me across the street to my apartment. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little later on. People knew me out there. They started recognizing me. Sure. Sure you recognize the people you see at the bar almost every single day, right? Right. Um, So really not a whole lot of pressure. You know, I would wake up and go and do the job. And then as soon as I got done, and I called it a day around 2.30 or so, I'd have a cooler in my uh, trunk, and I would go to one of my many liquor stores that I had on my route, and I would fill it up with ice, get a six-pack of Guinness, ice-cold Guinness, and either two or three of those canned martinis. They're called Club. And I'd had it all, I've had, I would have it all packed and ready to go and put it in my, in my cooler and take it home. Now, I never did, ever did drink at work or before work. I never drank before work. But I'll uh, touch on that in a second. When I was on the billboard, I told you about whether it was last episode or the episodes before. When I was on that billboard, you better believe I drank. People filled that bucket with booze all the time. I was drinking around the clock then. So uh, on a normal day, I'd go to work and do what I had to do. I'd be on the show if, if uh, Dave put me on the show and uh, do the background work that I did and then uh, grab all the drinks that I needed to, t- to take home to my uh, apartment because never was there a day that I could ever remember where I said to myself, let's not drink today. I don't feel like it. It wasn't even a, the matter of fact of feeling like it. I knew that I had to. Does that make sense? I had to and most importantly, I wanted to. It was part of my lifestyle. It was like eating dinner. As a matter of fact, when it came to eating dinner, I would get the most simplest things to make so it didn't, uh, it didn't you know, involve any elaborate, time-consuming preparation in, getting, in eating dinner. It'd be like a TV dinner or something easy to pop into the microwave to heat up or whatever. I had two women roommates, and they were awesome. And I lived at this condo slash apartment for quite a while. And then I met somebody. I met somebody and I fell in love. 
which is, I know, when you think about it, you met somebody. <laughs> I did. I met somebody. And this person lived in a different city. And so we courted for a while. Doesn't that sound old-fashioned? We courted for a while, talked on the phone, and one day I was able to talk her into coming out. And I went and bought her a plane ticket. And she came out and stayed a couple of days. And the next thing I know, she's talking about moving out here. And I'm thinking, bring it on. That's awesome. You can move out here. You can stay with me for a little bit. And then she did. And then I made preparations, she and I, to get our own place, which we actually did uh, some searching around. And we uh, really, both of us wanted to live downtown. Now, downtown San Diego has changed quite a bit since I was a kid. And downtown San Diego is not cheap. We found a tiny little, tiny little studio, if you can believe it or not, for a boatload of money. And then I had to tell my roommates that I was leaving. And my uh, roommates understood. So I uh, packed up my cat. I believe I had one cat at that time. And uh, moved downtown with my girlfriend. Now, when she and I met and when she she and I would get together on the few times that she would fly out to see me, drinking wasn't a problem. I drank, she drank. We would go down to the bay. Where I lived now was really like within 400 yards. The bay was off to my right. You walk across the street and the beach is over to my left. It was really paradise out there. And so she and I would uh, drink on the bay, grab a couple of uh, plastic cups and sit there and take in some sun, beach chairs and drink. Not a problem. Go to dinner that night and drink and then uh, fall asleep, do the same thing the next day. And then she'd go back home. Well, when she came out here and we got together and we moved in together, um, the drinking began, the drinking uh, continued on my part. And there were several times when she didn't drink. And then now, as we lived together, it's a different deal than just coming out and staying with your boyfriend for a couple of days. Now we're living together. Now she's waking up and seeing me every single day. And she's watching my, my life pattern. And she had said to me once, I think you, you're drinking way too much. We don't have to drink tonight. And I'm like, I want to. Because remember, before I met her, I was drinking every day, and that was part of my life. I wanted that, that part of my life to continue. So I said, well, no, I, I, can, I can only have a few drinks. And she goes, since when? I see you drink every single night, and on the weekends, you're drinking in the daytime and at night. And I'm getting a little defiant, you know. And I said, look, I can, I can stop if I want to. She goes, well, then do it. Do it for a couple days. And I tried. And that failed. So that drinking continued and that, that caused some friction. You see, she had a family member and uh, she still, I mean, she has a family member still who is an alcoholic. And that person would come over with his wife and would observe us, all of us, and would listen to my girlfriend as she told him of my drinking. And he said flat out, yeah, that guy, that guy's an alcoholic. I've had pe- people at work, excuse me, uh, at at our at our job, we had a traffic reporter. Yeah, because in San Diego, it's so busy, you need someone to, to give you the traffic. And that sounds kind of foreign out here in Bismarck. But, of course, the big cities, you have a traffic reporter. We had a traffic reporter on the show 
who is an alcoholic, and she'd been an alcoholic for quite a while. She'd been sober for quite a while is what I mean. She observed me many times. She had heard all my stories on the air, and she said flat out in front of me one time off the air, dude, you're an alcoholic. And I would say, F you. You're the alcoholic. You're the one that has to go to those meetings. I'm fine. I'm not missing any work. I'm not here late. I'm performing. And she goes, dude, I can smell it on you. Yeah. So that issue was always going on at work with her. That's why I never really went in to talk to her because she had her own room. So getting back to my uh, girlfriend, she uh, her dad had said, yeah, he, he's got all the signs of an alcoholic. So she obviously, she obviously wanted to test that and make sure that uh, I was going to either take action on that or she would take action. And the first step she was on her part when she would say, look, I just got to tell you, you keep telling me that you can, you can go without drinking and every day that goes by, you don't. So what I'm telling you is you better stop drinking because if you keep drinking, I'll leave you. So I tried that for a couple days. Tried? Underline the tried part. I hid my, see, she wasn't that tall. So I hid some of my bottles way in the back of behind the back of a behind the back of behind. <laughs> and of course, uh, I would get by with it. And I don't know how because alcohol is so prevalent. It's really, you can smell it. You can see somebody's face turn red, whatever. But I was able to fool her on a couple of days where she thought I didn't have anything. I was able to get that bottle that was hidden and uh, take my shots or take a full glass and gulp it in the bathroom. But I was able to get by until one time she found the bottle. She called me in and she goes, what's this? And I said, oh, I may have left it. No. You... So I confessed. And she says, look, dude, I'm not kidding you. You keep drinking and I'll leave you. So either stop or I'm gone. So I remember we had tried a couple times. Uh, I tried a couple times. And I said, all right, let's, let, let, me, let me not drink tonight. And it was horrible. I couldn't sleep. And I remember once the times that, that she and I would drink together was awesome. Because then I had the green light, you know. Since she's drinking, I'm drinking. I remember one time uh, she said, uh, we woke up on a Sunday. And I said, can we watch some football today? Because usually when we watched football, we drank. She goes, no, we're going to a brunch. I said, gosh darn it. We're going to a brunch. Yeah, my friend, I told you about this a couple days ago. Plus, you probably weren't listening. We're going over to our brunch, and uh, I want you to drive. And I said, all right. So that obviously tells me I can't have anything to drink. So we go over to this brunch, and she's having a, a Bloody Mary. And I'm having a virgin Bloody Mary with a couple of crappy little vegetables inside it. And I'll never forget, um, there are loads of people there. Loads of people I didn't know. And she knew almost everybody. So at one point, instead of me joining a circle to engage in conversation with people I didn't know, I was looking around for something and something caught my eye. And I walked over and I picked up one of those Etch-A-Sketches, you know? It was on the mantle. And I said, look at that. Oh, wow, man, I haven't seen one of these in years. And as I picked it up, I kind of shook it. 
I shook it. <laughs> and the whole party, the whole groups of circles of people who were drinking and talking stopped their mouths wide open. And the person that lived there, the mother goes, Oh my God. And everything was in slow motion. They're all looking at me like, like they're like my head's on fire. And I'm like, what? It's an etch sketch. What happened was their daughter had drawn this starry, starry night. You know, that famous picture, I guess that's what it was called. If I said it right, starry, starry night. And it was in fact, so, so detailed and so perfect that they had taken a snapshot of the Etch-A-Sketch and sent it to the Etch-A-Sketch people, and they were so blown away by it, they wrote back with this note saying, oh, that is perfect, great work, we want to send you this, send you that. And I blew it. I took that picture and blew it away within two seconds. (laughs) Wiped it out. Now, 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 now my girlfriend's pissed off, yelling at me on the way home. I haven't had anything to drink at all. And my first argument was, if that damn thing was so special, why didn't they put it into a case with armed guards next standing next to it? Anyway, that's just one of the arguments I remember. But that was towards the end. Because the very next day, I couldn't go two days in a row without drinking. There's just no way in hell. So I remember I uh, had some a few drinks before I got in, thinking that I, that would... Uh, that would make me a little bit uh, more myself as I got into the apartment. I came in and I took that bottle that I snuck again in a different place and took some more shots. We both fell asleep. I went to work and I came home and I looked around the apartment and everything was torn apart. I saw a lot of my items and uh, clothes and such off to the side, and there was a note. And she said, I told you I would leave you if you kept drinking. The bottom line was, remember now, she gave me three different chances. And on three different times, I chose the bottle. You know, it wasn't like, I didn't love her because I did, but my my love for the bottle and the drink was more powerful, easily more powerful. So looking around my scattered apartment just beat me up bad, tore me up for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. I went into the biggest tailspin. I continued with my six-pack of Guinness and my three martinis in a in a can but i also started a new numbness those ampm tylenol pills i figured to myself man i want to numb myself even more i started taking five or six of those those ampm tylenol pills you know what i'm talking about usually those things will conk you out i took about four or five of those to go along with a full six pack and about three of those canned martinis wiped out I'd get up about four o'clock and I don't know how get in the shower 
And after about a week and a half of doing that for a steady rate, I started realizing my legs were becoming numb. And I'd go to work and I would continue to be there on time. But after about an hour and a half of being at work and being awake, the shakes came. And man, I'll tell you what, I don't wish the shakes on my worst enemy, on anybody's worst enemy. If you've ever had the shakes before, it's the most haunting feeling you'll ever experience. And like I said, it came about me about an hour and a half after I woke up. The shakes would come. I'd be walking down the hallway thinking to myself, I could feel my blood boiling because I have high blood pressure, you know, and I could feel my blood boiling. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to stroke out. I kept thinking to myself, when am I going to collapse to this? Because I knew the drinking was bad, but still I was dealing with it. It was part of my life, but now I'm mixing AMPM Tylenol pills to go along with it. And I'm not that um, dumb. I'm not that smart. But something told me that this, this isn't good. And I remember I'd go home every single night and force myself to eat a plastic TV dinner of chicken and crap. I'd watch the same movie over and over again and cry and pick up the phone and call her and leave a message. And I remember that she had told me later um, that the first couple of messages, she almost wanted to turn around and come back you know, to be with me. But after every night, one of those crying, (sighs) drunk and crying, slobbering phone messages, she just tucked them away and and didn't even answer, didn't even listen to them because they were all the same. They were so bad and living in that apartment that she and I had, because at that point we moved from a studio, we moved upstairs to the second floor and we actually had a one bedroom. So that one bedroom apartment felt like hell. Such bad times of remembering that. My mom, I would call her. She'd come all the way out from La Mesa, which was about 20 miles away. She'd come downtown, sit in a park bench and look at me. And she was worried. She looked at a troubled son who was spiraling downhill because at that point I had a week off of vacation. And when I had booked that vacation time and I had asked for that vacation time weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, I had thought to myself, oh, this is going to be great. I could spend time with my girlfriend, sleeping in late, doing all that stuff. But now I'm by myself, empty, thoughts circulating through my head. I wonder what she's up to. She left me because I refused to leave the bottle. And my poor mom would sit at the bench and cry. And because she... Couldn't do a thing about it. She's looking at her troubled son who's lost everything, who's completely demoralized. Calling my best friend up, the host, and telling him and crying. And he would say, dude, get yourself together, man. Take a shower. Get your man up. You know, and that's what every friend will try to tell you man up get yourself together stop drinking which I of course knew I was not going to that week was hell good news 
towards about a month of that steady horror pattern, my old roommate called me and said, hey, your old room is vacant now. Um, our old room, the roomie that was staying in your old room left. How'd you like to come back? And you know what? I said to myself, this might be, yeah, I'd love to come back. This is the place. Remember mission beach where I had all the fun, the bars and going across the street and the drinking. And I could go back to a familiar room, back to a beautiful place with the bay on the side and the beach across the street. So I said, yes, I packed up my things, took my cat left my studio, uh, left my apartment in shambles, got in trouble there because we broke a lease that we were in. But I said, screw it. I screw it. I, I am not going to continue living in this hellhole, bringing back such awful memories. I moved back home and there I was. Now, the good thing that I learned was, in fact, I had confided in my roommate what I was doing with the AMPM Tylenol pills. And she said, dude, you got to stop that now. And I mean now. You can't take those anymore when you're drinking. You know that song by Bad Company where Johnny uh, dies in his sleep? That easily could have been me without a doubt. Without a doubt. So somehow a miracle there in my swirlness of awful drinking and alcoholism, I stopped taking those AMPM Tylenol pills. And I started living again at Mission Beach. Do you think my life now was going to get better? Do you think maybe now that I can control my drinking that was out of control? Well, on my next episode, I'll tell you how my bottom was months away from happening. Hey, once again, I sure appreciate you listening to There Is A Way Out. This is a vehicle for me, a vehicle for everyone who may have a problem with addiction. Either it's you or a family member or anybody. There is a way out.